Another episode of uh, Beaches Motorcycle Adventures Audio Adventures with Rob and Mike. Today we've got Joe White, Voight's Harley Davidson, joining us. Joe was with us at the Isle of Man in 2018, as was Mike, and we had a brilliant trip for three weeks riding through Wales and Scotland and spending a week on the Isle of Man. Hi, Joe. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi Joe. I'm just going to, I uh, went to the liquor store and thought, I thought, well, we need uh, Scottish or English beer. So I got this tenants right from Scotland. So I know you guys are at work. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Mike. So, Joe, you've had a couple of shops out there. Where, where are your bike shops? Lebanon, Pennsylvania is the original one my parents started in 1953. So I kind of poured into the uh, business. And in 2003, we opened uh, Iron Valley near uh, Mannheim, Mannheim Auto Auction, for those that know the Mannheim area in Pennsylvania. And uh, then in 2013, we bought Harley-Davidson of Chester Springs down uh, near Philadelphia area of Pennsylvania. So uh, in between that, in between tours, I like to go to work and work three different stores. <laughs> well, it gives you the opportunity to um, ride between one and the other on a regular basis, right? Actually, yes. Tomorrow is a plan to ride to one of the stores and pick up some mail and ride back to the Lebanon store. Even though we're in uh, this uh, stay safe, stay at home thing, we are still servicing our motorcycles. So some people are at work. I'm trying to keep people employed and uh, I will go for a ride tomorrow. Very good. Critical mission. The three of us and a variety of other wonderful folk got together in 2018 and met in Manchester, England, and took off from there on a three-week jaunt hither and yon through uh, Wales. And then we went across from Haitian and caught the ferry to the Isle of Man and had the opportunity to spend about six days on the Isle of Man watching the 2018 TT. Uh, when that was all done, we hopped back on the ferry and headed north and went up into the highlands of Scotland for another eight or nine days. Great, great trip. But the thing that made it really special was the possibility for us to visit the TT on what must have been one of the most glorious weeks that was there, weather-wise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was a little ridiculous, wasn't it, almost weather-wise? Uh, I, I know Bonnie and I, we actually went and bought sunscreen. Who, who goes to the United Kingdom and needs to buy a sunscreen? And we had brought some, but we didn't bring nearly enough. It was crazy weather. It, it was so much sunshine that I remember our hotel building uh, which was a block building heated up on the 20 hours of daylight and uh we had to open all our windows throughout the whole hotel even the hallway windows and uh, rob was quite inventive with taking some of the uh, limiting uh, factors of the window and unscrewing them so the windows <laughs> could be opened even farther <laughs> to get some air, yeah. cross air blowing there you would Never expected that warm of a, a time, but it was a beautiful week. Well, even track-wise, I remember they were stating that some of the tar strips on the road for repair were starting to melt, which has happened in the past, but it's certainly not a regular thing. It was extremely warm, and which, I guess, helped for some of the speeds we saw. They broke, I think, uh, every record. I was looking it up today, and uh, every, I don't know, but every ra record, but race distance and everything, uh, many of them are broken, the ultimate 
movement, outright speed uh, in a lap. Harrison had broke it one day at 134.4 miles an hour. And then Hick- Hinkman, uh, Hickman sorry, broke it the next day at 135.4 miles an hour the next day for average lap speed. Like improved a mile per hour over uh, over that the entire course. So just extremely fast speeds. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Isle of Man and the TT, the Tourist Trophy Race, it's a very unique event that takes place on the Isle of Man. And the origination of it was way back when. It's also the world's oldest motorcycle race now, I do believe, or at least road race. Way back when in the UK, there were very specific and uh, reasonably harsh speed laws for these newfound motor vehicles and motorcycles. And the people that were buying motorcycles wanted to go out and play a little bit. They wanted to go faster than the horse and buggy. So uh, they looked for a place to do it. And the residents on the Isle of Man allowed them to come over and ride with virtually no speed limits, uh, which turned into a annual contest, the Isle of Man Tourist Trophy Race. And it takes place the first week of June every year. Traditionally, this year it has been canceled, along with virtually all the rest of the spring motorsports. But it's fascinating, fascinating event on a course that is 37.7 miles around. And if you think about one of our biggest road races in America, it's the Daytona 200. And I don't know how many laps that is. Uh, Joe, you'd know. What is that? Oh, uh, I believe it's 57 laps. 57 laps of the Daytona Speedway to come up with the 200 miles for that. And on the TT course, they run six laps and basically get their 200 plus miles in. Six laps, a very, very demanding course, but more interesting is the fact that it literally is on the streets. It's right down the middle of the road. <laughs> and, and not a very large road either, of course. It's, it, for anybody who's seen pictures of some of the course, it's exactly the way it looks. The road ends at a sidewalk and the sidewalks two and a half feet wide maybe and, and then there's a building or there's a stone wall or there there's there's something what they refer to as the furniture that is extremely unforgiving yes very definitely so it is a, quite a challenge in the old days the tt was part of the grand prix motorcycle racing circuit and when was it in the 70s probably the riders protested vehemently about both the Nordschleife at the nurburgring and the TT course as being too dangerous because of the lack of safety considerations, runoff room, etc. And both of those courses were removed from the MotoGP circuit. So now it's an independent event and the riders don't cross back and forth much at all. People that are TT riders are very, very specialized. They put on a show that is absolutely unbelievable. From your perspective, Joe, having been to other motorcycle races hither and yon, <laughs> What was the thing that stuck in your mind initially? Well, you know, it was a bucket list thing for, for myself to go and my wife begrudgingly said, oh, I'll go to Europe with you, of course. But it was a bucket list to see the Isle of Man up close in person. As Mike alluded to, the course is very, very narrow at certain parts of the, the towns when it goes through. The mountain course uh, part of it is beautiful. Again, it's two lanes wide, though. You run off the off the asphalt, uh, you have a pretty good slide down the hill of maybe a thousand feet or so. Sometimes there's things to hit and sometimes you just slide for a long time. The one thing though, from a normal race, they don't all line up at one spot and the green light goes on and everybody leaves or the red light goes off if you're a GP 
watcher, but it's a timed interval race. Uh, one rider leaves, and a minute later, another rider leaves. And they do that through the classes. And uh, after the, the lead rider passes your viewing point, somewhere in the 37 mile, then you wait roughly, I think, was it 23 minutes or something till they come back around again. And, and you can see if the second place rider caught up or drifted back from the guy in front of him. And once in a while, on the fourth or fifth lap, you'll see two or three riders actually together racing each other. Uh, that's the unique part of the race, quote unquote, race. But, you know, that's, the, of course, the unique part of, of the running of the race. But even the viewership of the race, uh, right, is totally different than going to a traditional road course in Europe or, or America. Roughly the same thing. Uh, talk to us a bit about just even being there, Joe, and watching it. Well, you know, at a, a large road, road race, like I've gone to the Circuit of the Americas to watch MotoGP, uh, you cannot see the entire track. And you can move from this corner to that, that corner and see big portions of the track. The Isle of Man, you can go from Douglas to Ramsey, the Ramsey hairpin to out on the different parts of the track. And you will see the riders for literally at best 10 to 15 seconds if you have a great vantage point. And other than that, they're gone and you wait for the next rider to come up. Uh, so that the getting there is half the fun is getting to the next part of the track. You have a 37 mile loop to get around and uh, you can you can stage different places on different days and watch uh, how they attack uh, the bridges with where they might get some air under their wheels or the sharp turns or we were in uh, Ramsey, I believe, where we were staying. We walked walked over to a little pub and got a to-go cup of the local brew and walked out to the, the square and had a nice beer while we watched the, the hairpin uh, going through Ramsey. So those are all unique experiences you cannot have at other tracks where you can just walk back into the pub and walk right back out onto the street and here goes the race. You no, know, we talk about in a traditional track that generally you can see for longer distances, but I know I've gone to the Indianapolis 500 two times with my father. He's a huge fan. And there's always the trade-off at any racetrack that it's really neat to be as close as you can be, but then you're losing the viewing angles, of course. You see the cars, motorcycles for less time, and he's had different seats at that track at different times. And it's kind of neat being up top, and you can see through the pits around turn one and stuff like that. But then you're so far away. So it's not a lot different in that regard it's just that with island man you're there like you're right there you're as close as you almost humanly possible i know where we were sitting at one point the guy said there was the road there was a, a paved boulevard about two feet wide and he said as long as you aren't on that a boulevard i own the boulevard if you stay off that we'll have no problems other than that you could be wherever you wanted to be wherever you've uh, felt brave enough to stand. Stand or sit. I remember sitting along, uh, I, I forget the name that of that uh, stretch. Uh, they would be coming up a straightaway and, and coming out of a turn onto a straightaway. And at the other end of the straightaway, we could see them setting up for a, uh, a sharp right-hand turn. Uh, but we were literally sitting on the edge of the road, on the grass on the edge of the road. And they were, they were 20 feet away from us going by at a hundred plus mile an hour in that section. And uh, I mean, you were right there. You didn't want to be on the apex of the turn. That's for sure. <laughs> I, uh, had an oops. <laughs> the 2018 trip was my fifth time at the TT. 
and it's changing a little bit. They've come up with some more specific, strict rules on where people can go. Uh, you go back a decade and it was very, very different than it is now. I remember sitting up on the wall at Gooseneck and I had my legs over the wall on the track side. And had I put my foot out, I would have smacked a rider right square in the middle of the face shield. And they were coming by right under my feet regularly. I mean, it was just incredible. And the fascinating thing is with all of the racing and the speed contests that we go to, you get an idea that something really special is happening. But when you can get really close, and I mean two feet away or three feet away from somebody that's going 180 miles an hour, you know there's something very special going on right there. It really is pretty phenomenal in that sense. But the other thing that's interesting is the crowd and the and the grandstands and the scenario. They have an attendance of somewhere around 70,000 people for the course of the entire week on the Isle of Man. Now, some of those people come and stay for the whole week. Some people come for a couple of days. Very, very few people are only coming for a day. But 70,000 people over a 37-mile long circuit. So there are a lot of vantage points where you're actually walking through a farmer's field somewhere to get to the fence to be able to watch the races. And it's vastly different than we're used to here with uh, closed circuit racing where there is a specific grandstand and you get your ticket and you get your seat and that's where you are, a la Indy 500 or Coda or wherever it happens to be. It is very much old school, old style racing. One of the grandstands is run by a church and your donation goes to the church itself to take care of keeping the grandstand up but also keeping the church up the congregation in the church makes snacks that, that they sell there etc so it's it really is fascinating when we went up to gooseneck i had a group of about 10 people with me and we came up and i looked at this stone wall that was all of three feet high that is dividing the spectator area from the track area. And everybody was on our side of the stone wall, of course, but they had things pretty well spread out and nice viewing. And I popped in with 10 people and thought, oh, this is a bit of a problem. And a woman turned around and looked and she said, oh, oh, you need some place to sit. And I said, well, yes, but uh, I've actually got another nine people with me. And she looked at them and said, well, that's not a problem. There's enough room here for everyone. And everybody shuffled around and bang, all of a sudden, the 10 of us, along with the rest of them, have track side seats, track side seats, not five layers deep, but right on the edge of the fence. And everyone there is just so willing to work with you. It's such a different scene than I've seen in other places. That was certainly one of the standout things in my mind, uh, many uh, people comment about how polite and certainly how super cool Canadians are. But the <laughs> the people from UK, we have nothing in politeness when in comparison to them, like you said, Rob. Just I was always struck by if you're in a grandstand when the motorcycles would come by or you're anywhere where people could be in front of you, nobody would stand up because that would be rude because you'd be blocking the view of the people behind you things like that they just you just don't do and uh, that's not acceptable behavior and so nobody did it and the way people accommodate you and make room for you and just it's it really you really felt like you're a part of a community it was really neat and the other thing that i think sets this race apart from most certainly not all uh, i guess the future of all road racing is that you could come and watch that race and not spend a dollar if you could get yourself to the island man or if you live there 
you could just stand trackside anywhere and not pay a dime and you would have extremely good viewing angles depending where you were of course there's a ton of places to stand there's a few places that charge for a grandstand like rob said usually not much money but because they brought a grandstand there they have to keep it up and a way to make a couple bucks for whatever reason but really uh if you wanted to hitchhike get on a ferry and sleep in a sleep in your tent <laughs> uh, what other risk can you say especially of that caliber that you can kind of do that it's such a happening more than a race it's kind of like daytona bike week and coda and polite people all combined <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't all Canadians, by the way. Um, <laughs> only way to describe a week-long event of that stature. And they don't race every day. So when they're not racing, the roads are open, the course is open. And you get to ride on the same roads, which we did. I know my wife and I went out on our own one day and had a very pleasant day on the island and circumnavigated the whole thing beyond the road course. And what was the speed limit up in the mountain section when you were doing that, Joe? <laughs> Actually, we ended up at uh, Castleton or Castletown and had a very nice lunch on the seawall there. That yeah, yeah. Took a bag lunch from the hotel and had a wonderful time. Uh, I just said, because for, again, people don't know, a lot of the island, man, they, they normally don't have any speed limits out in the countryside. In towns, they do. But, but during the course, it's the same thing. You could ride the course. The mountain section, there's no speed limit. And the only thing they do to try and make it safer is make it one-way traffic, whereas normally it's two-way. So on the in-between days, they want to be sport bike racers would get out there and, and see see what they could do. But it, it was never crazy. But during the day, you could get out there and kind of gas it up a bit and have a bit of fun. It's such a, like, like Joe, you said, it's such a happening. Yeah, the day we did the mountain course as a group uh, was Mad Sunday, I believe they call it, uh, where we waited a good uh, half hour or so to get in line because people had staged, I guess, early in the morning and rode over the mountain course with abandon. Uh, once we got into the, the queue, so to speak, and we got out in the op open part of the course, uh, Rob uh, kind of waved me by and my wife just sat very still in the back knowing full well that I wanted to see how fast my BMW would go. Uh, and we were having fun uh, splitting riders and passing on the right and passing on the left and setting up for corners. And I was having a grand time. You know, it was really fun to be out there with other bikes. And there were some fast guys out there in full road race gear uh, trying to impress everyone. And there I am with my wife on the back and wearing my best uh, Alpine Star pants and <laughs> staying with them. So having, having a good time. That was one of the highlights for me was that mad Sunday. <laughs> As was mentioned, the racing doesn't take place every day. It's every other day because of schedules and the fact that people actually live on the Isle of Man and need to carry on with their lives in spite of the fact that there's a road race that closes down the roads occasionally. And uh, as a result of that, on the off days, there are all sorts of different things going on with motorcycle shows and club meets and stunt riding displays, et cetera, et cetera, going on at a variety of different places around the island. So from a non-racer standpoint, there's still plenty to do. But one of the things that I was really surprised with was the fact that in our last group, we had a couple of passengers and, and riders as well 
but primarily passengers who'd never been to a motorcycle race and had virtually no interest in motorcycle racing until they got to the TT and were part of the experience. It's it's such a very different event than, than a regular road race because it is simply a gathering of motorcycle enthusiasts. It's really fascinating. What was the line that John McGinnis said at the, the dinner we went to? He gave a little speech. I think he called it the last bastion of free will. They're not really coming there for money because they don't really make much money. Some of the factory guys, I think, do okay. But really, they're doing it because they just love doing it. That's their thing. Some people climb Mount Everest. A lot of people have their thing. That's their thing. They just, they love it. And they're, they're willing to do everything they can. You know, as a child, my parents took me to Daytona after the beach era, thank God. I'm not that old. Uh, but my father was at the, during the beach era. He, he worked down there and he, he often loved to go to Daytona because it was such a happening. And that has since morphed into more of a party than a race. Uh, you know, everything happened around the race. Now the race kind of be, is a side note to the whole Daytona Bike Week thing. Yep. This, on the other hand, it's still the race is the reason to be there and all the other party stuff happens afterwards, after the race. Everybody wants to go see part of the race and then uh, enjoy themselves in the evening or just enjoy themselves getting to a vantage point that next day. Getting to your viewing spot is half the fun. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, a big race where you got, oh my God, we got to get there early and try to beat the crowds and get, stand in line and get our tickets. And No, it's like, where do you want to go today? Let's go, go over to this part of the track and sit there for an hour or two. And then between the classes, let's get on the bikes and ride to another vantage point. It's mm-hmm. a time. It fills your day. One of the gotchas, of course, with a with a race course that's that big and that fast is unlike MotoGP, they don't race in the rain. So if it's starting to get wet, the problem with rain on the Isle of Man is that there's often fog involved and the visibility just disappears. It is a fair weather race in comparison to MotoGP. And that can be a big problem because in 2019, the weather was bad enough that practice wasn't running regularly, the races weren't running regularly. And had we actually been there in 2019 using the same schedule that we used in 2018, we would have seen no racing at all. Wow. I knew I knew there was some weather delays. I, I thought, you know, with the every other day schedule they run that, you know, one day's rainy, the next day they might squeeze in a race. So like, there's a good possibility that you could maybe see less racing, but certainly you'd see some. Now, on the on the other side, this actually is an event that goes on for two weeks. There's a week of practice before the racing. A couple of other tour members have gone over for the last few years for practice week before the actual race week. All the riders are out doing their thing, um, trying to get qualifying times, trying to get their motorcycles set up, and they're riding almost every day in practice. The viewing places are, for the most part, occupied by about 10% of the people that are there during the races. The accommodations are a lot less expensive. That's another interesting way to get to the TT and see it. It's, it's easier to get ferries back and forth at that time, too. So if anybody's really, really interested in going, my advice to them is go. <laughs> if Go, period. Don't wait. Don't leave that one in the bucket. Pull it right out of the top and say, I'm going to make this happen. And if the expense or the hassle is starting to get to be too big, then look really hard at the week beforehand at practice week. A lot of the between races, racing events are not happening during the practice week, but you also have the ability to 
get in and talk to the riders and team managers in the pits without a crush of people behind you. So it's a very, very open and friendly atmosphere. And if you're there during the practice week, you will uh, have a great time as well. Well, Rob, that's usually your advice for a lot of stuff. Just go, right? And, and it's it's good advice. And uh, certainly for this also, I know a friend of mine called me in fall time. He wanted to go to the Isle of Man. I was trying to talk him into going when we went, him and a couple of us, other friends. They talked about, like a lot of people, talked about going for years and years. So he called me in fall and wanted to know more about it and was thinking of going and was really serious. He was going to go whether his other couple of buddies were going or not. So we talked about a bunch of stuff. He calls me a few weeks later and said, yeah, I booked it. Here's what I'm doing. And I was just thinking today, well... Not this year, right? <laughs> so that's the problem when we put things off sometimes. And who knows what next year brings? Uh, like a lot of people, as we're getting older, sometimes we have injuries or you, you just never know. Or things pop up that could be your last serious uh, attempt at going. Who knows? But just, yeah, go. Go when you can. It's, I know a lot of these things aren't easy for people. It's, it's not a small amount of money sometimes. But if that's what you want to do, make it happen. Good advice. Good advice. Especially if you own a Harley Davidson dealership, it's a write-off, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all a write-off. Yeah, <laughs> government gives you the money back. <laughs> Don't edit that, Gretchen. Leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another event that goes on on the Isle of Man, and that is the Manx TT, which is an amateur race, and it's an alternative to the to the main big TT, and that happens later on in the year, and that's also a really really neat event. I've not been to the Manx TT. I've only been to the Classic TT in the springtime, but there's another opportunity for those of you that are not quite as flexible with time. The pits was another thing at many racing venues, uh, like MotoGP, for instance, you cannot get near the pits or near the machinery or near the rider. At the Isle of Man, you walk the pits openly. Uh, the bikes are there, the sidecars are there, the riders are there. I know we stopped by one of the sidecar racers and he had no problem telling us how the bike was designed, how they raced it, uh, you know, who took care of the chassis work. It was just two old friends talking, although I've never met the guy before in my life. It was, you know, it's very friendly and open for a top level race like it is. It's the old style racing that I grew up with. And, you know, as a racer myself, I love when the uh, crowd comes into the pits on the flat track circuit and gets to talk to you and meet the riders and things. And, and that's the Isle of Man through and through. Absolutely. Nobody yep. was to talk to you. Yep. Yep. And the residents of, on the island are very receptive to this mad horde of motorcyclists that come in. I, I don't know that they're all entirely <laughs> receptive, but uh, enough of them are. Way back when, the first time that I went to the Isle of Man was... I don't know, 86 or 87. And I had taken my own motorcycle over there. I had an R90S and got off the ferry and rode it up into Ramsey, came around the roundabout to the hotel and the drive shaft bolts all pulled out of the back of the transmission and I suddenly had no more forward motion. I had literally enough speed to coast into the parking lot. The bike went up on the center stand and the next morning I started to take it apart only to find that nowhere on the island were there any of those particular style specialized bolts to put the drive shaft back on the back of the transmission. So I had to order them from the mainland. And one morning I'm sitting out there mucking around with the motorcycle and all of a sudden, funk next to me, there's a set of keys. 
And I looked and I turned around and behind me is this young fellow. He said, I got off at five o'clock. He said, bring her back with a full tank of gas. It's the RD350 back there. And I turned around and looked and here was a nearly brand new RD352 stroke sitting in the parking lot. And this guy worked, the young fellow worked in the restaurant at the hotel that we were staying at. And he said later, he said, yeah, I saw you working on your bike for a couple of days. And I thought, well, that's really terrible that he'd come all the way over here from America and he doesn't have a motorcycle to ride when he's here. So he just loaned me his. He, he never said a word to me hmm. until, thunk, he throws the keys next to me. And then he walks away, <laughs> come back by five with a full tank of fuel. <laughs> wow. Imagine that. And, and at that point, I was just a kid myself. So he's not giving it to this grizzled old man who looks like he might have a clue and probably won't crash it. Quite the contrary. <laughs> he so. was so nice to you because he didn't know you. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might be some truth to that. <laughs> hey, so we, we've talked about, of course, the, the race itself. But I know Bonnie really enjoyed just being on the island. Uh, Joe, you're kind of talking about it a bit about having a, a, a day off because we wondered that. Okay, so you're having there's a race every second day. What are we going to do in the days between? Are we going to be a little bit bored or not? But I can say we certainly were not. <laughs> there was, it was a, it's a beautiful island. It'd be a beautiful place to go just to go there. Never mind uh, adding the racing and everything. Yes. Yeah, so, well, we were there what six days, Rob? I believe it was not quite a week. But that week or that six-day period just flew by, even without the racing. Between the events going on with the motorcycles, just to, to view the people uh, in, in Douglas uh, hanging out and riding around the island. And like I said, I, I'm 90% sure it was Castleton that we stopped at and had our lunch. A rocky beach and a big castle over, over the ocean. Uh, it was just a great place to sit. And there were some motorcycle events happening in that town and we, we decided, why bother? You know, we're enjoying where we're at. So we didn't even walk over and check it out. We rode by and nodded to everybody, but uh, we just kept going and enjoyed the scenery. Quite a, a special day. The other part that no one has mentioned, uh, other than Rob, you said you get on the ferry to get there. I was amazed, truly amazed. I've never been on a ferry that large with that many motorcycles being onto it in that short of a time it could have been what maybe a half hour to put 500 motorcycles in the belly of the ferry and have them tied down and get yelled at that i'm not moving fast enough because they got <laughs> motorcycles it was it was a hoot i mean i love getting on and getting off the ferry both on the way over and on the way home i look doubly forward on the way back to uh, the england side uh, it, it's just uh, a sight to see. If you did nothing else but went on the ferry, you'd be impressed. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's literally a ferry full of motorcyclists, and they're good-sized ships. I mean, there, there are a lot of motorcycles on there. It really is uh, a definite serious part of the experience. I was doing some row counts as we were all staging to get on. Uh, I guesstimated around 500 motorcycles. I could be short. You know, we're over, but it was a lot of motorcycles. And roughly how many of those were cruisers, Joe? There were some there. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are some of everything there. Well, if, if you... the point I was, I was going to make that point. That there is everything under the sun uh, there. And if you're from the States, you will see brands you don't recognize. You will see motorcycles you've only read about and you'll see bikes that were never imported to the United States as well, you know, as far as models and things. So it was quite interesting as a motorcycle guy. I, you know, I grew up in the industry and I sell Harleys, uh, but 
I'm a motorcycle guy, and uh, yeah, it, it's just amazing what you see on the island and on the ferry. And not, and not all just uh, big, expensive things. Of course, there, there's a decent amount of that, but like you're saying, there's everything. There's vintage bikes, there's sport bikes, there's cruisers. There We saw a group of guys get on on scooters. I mean, they had like two or three cases of beer and an ice pack or something on their scooter and a backpack. They're, they're good to go. They're, I, I think I they're going notice, to do it hardcore. I noticed quite a few that were uh, had their tents strapped on the back, so they were they were tenting during the week uh, somewhere. I'm sure they just pulled up on some farmer's field and pitched a tent and had a grand old time there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's extensive camping on the island as well, so there are many many places to camp. Yeah, you can uh, camp and you can glamp. You can you can rent a tents that they'll be set up for you as you arrive. I, I don't think. They might have trailers to caravans. You can camp at any kind of uh, level, kind of the bare, bare basics or glamping. I, I was thinking back over the trip, and one of the highlights was uh, going over your pass. Not oh, yeah. yeah. I was thinking that too, yeah. You know, um, Mr. Knott, Mr. White, and Mr. Mockamer uh, were taking turns uh, leading over the pass and down the other side. Uh, and what a hoot that was. Uh, yeah. One One tracker with two-way traffic so you had a plan ahead on the pullouts and pass where you could pass and uh yeah. it was quite the challenge it was a chess match of uh writing skills it's <laughs> the way i look you know especially if you have legs the length of a toy pony uh, you really had to plan where you stopped <laughs> specifically folks what they're talking about is hard knot pass in england which is the steepest road the steepest road in England? Well, anyway, it's got grades. one and three gradient or 33 degrees. And it really and truly is 33 degrees in places. It is significantly and seriously steep. But, but you know, Rob, you didn't really notice the 33% grade because the, the broken up pavement that was uh, like a car wide. So it really didn't stand out at all. I'm fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> or the hairpins at the bottom and the top that you got to negotiate on your way up and down the 33% grade. Yeah, it's a great road. And in the middle, there were hairpins. <laughs> and you couldn't always see the cars coming at you until you were through the hairpin going, oh my God, there's a car. <laughs> Riding with us, who's uh, built a lot closer to the ground than the average guy, he was not enjoying stopping. And uh, I was just going to mention Mr. Mockamer. Yeah, all five foot four of him. Um, he really had a plan to find a boulder whenever he had a boulder. <laughs> Good friend of mine, by yeah. the way. Besides the Isle of Man, now that you've been there, what race would you like to go see, Mike? Um, geez, you know, there's a few tracks I have. I haven't been to a ton of them. I've been when Brainerd. BIR was running. We used to always go there because that's closest to to my house, about a five-hour drive away, only breaking a few laws. But and then we started going to Road America. I loved Road America. It's a gorgeous track, and and the grounds when you're camping there is beautiful. But um, Laguna Seca, I'd love to go to. It, it's a very f uh, far distance from here. The Red Bull Ring, I think, would be pretty neat because the backdrop of the mountains in uh, Austria and Österreich would be, I think, pretty impressive. You know, I always thought that 24 hours of Le Mans would be pretty neat but for the same reasons, not necessarily just the racing. The racing is certainly part of it. Uh, I used to follow the ALMS for a while, but just the whole thing. They've, they've got the carnival rides. They've, 
there's camping, there's food, there's everything. It's the whole atmosphere of it, I think, would be really, really neat to go to. How about you, Joe? You've, you've been uh, to a bunch of tracks. I've been to a bunch of tracks in the U.S. I haven't been to some of the ones you mentioned. Uh, Road America I've been to and Daytona, of course. Uh, mostly I was a flat tracker, so I went to, to many, many of the flat tracks uh, that are still running all these decades later. Yeah, now that I'm more watching MotoGP when it starts again, uh, there are some beautiful tracks that they follow throughout Europe. I'd sign me on for any of those, Silverstone or, you know, even like going to the Japanese Grand Prix and, and uh, Qatar, those, those kind of things. Would, I, I said to Donna, maybe that's a new bucket list. We follow the MotoGP circuit for a year, just track after track, and that'll be our retirement year. You know, we just hit every race and every country. <laughs> Actually, there's a track, uh, I've, I've watched them racing. The odd time, we don't get the British Superbike racing here often. Every so often, it shows up on the Velocity Channel. One of them, it'll be a year old, but Caldwell Hill, I'm, I'm maybe I'm not pronouncing that properly, but that's the track, there's a jump in the middle of a corner. You don't see in most racetracks, right? But you can check it out on YouTube. It's, it looks pretty crazy. Some, especially in practice, you'll see the guys really launching. These are sport bikes, of course. They're not made for jumping, but it has this huge jump in it in the corner. And so when they land, sometimes they're crossed up and everything. I've often thought that, I think that would be pretty impressive because a lot of the British superbike tracks are a little more intimate, smaller. A lot of the tracks you're talking about, Joe, are they're just so big. And of course, they're not just that they're big, but the runoff areas are massive, which is great for the riders because you want to keep them safe. But one of the things I really liked about Road America, there's a few corners I would go to, I'd buy a photo pass and I couldn't use my zoom lens because you're too close to the riders. It was, it's just amazing. Uh, you get underneath what used to be Cor the Corvette Bridge. I don't think it's Corvette Bridge anymore. I haven't been there for a few years, but you're 20 feet away from the riders as they come up over the hill and and turn it in left and then they go down uh, their hurry downs, I think it is. You're so close to the riders there. It's That's what's really nice. Whereas I know the, the Miller Motorsports Park, beautiful track, it's fairly modern and everything else, but I talked to a photographer that was there. He said he had to rent a bunch of lenses to take pictures because even for the photographers there, they're so far away, it's crazy. And so uh, from a viewership point, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it seems a little stale to me. Our, uh, our buddy Ben uh, told me that when we, the first time I went to Coda, we had a VIP seats at the front straightaway. And I said, well, you can't see a whole lot of the track. He said, well, we can walk to different corners and things. He said, but if you want to see the race, he said, you DVR the race. So when you get home, you can watch the entire race because <laughs> cameras in every corner. Uh, but when you want to experience the whole essence of the MotoGP itself, uh, you know, being in the VAP over the pit area, watching the start, going, you, they have the Jumbotron, you can actually see the race, but it's not the same as sitting at home in a recliner and, and seeing every camera angle and replay of every crash or violent uh, wobble or, or somebody making an incredible pass on the outside. Uh, you know, that you do best from home. Uh, watching a football game, you know, being there at live, soccer or American football. That's American football, Mike. Um, not the round ball stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know the American one. Yeah, because your balls are smaller and there's something they're, else they're, in there. I don't know. But. They're, they're pointier too, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the event itself, you, you need to be there to experience it. If you want to see all the details of the game or the race, uh, record it. 
but you still have to go to the event. Way, way different. Yep. 100%. You don't smell the race fuel and you don't feel like Rob said, the thunder in your chest as it go by from your TV and you'll never meet anybody <laughs> sitting in your living room. Right, <laughs> you'll never right. have that neat conversation. Beyond that, the only other track that I'd like to go see is uh, I'd like to go see one of the endurance races, automobile endurance races at the Nordschleife, Nürburgring. That's another very, very seriously iconic track. I've had the Good fortune to spend a couple of weekends riding on the Nurburgring way back when, when motorcycles were a whole lot slower. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't quite as intimidating. I'm certainly pleased that I don't have the um, enthusiasm or want to go ride a thousand hour hour there, for instance, because it's a very, very unforgiving racetrack for motorcycles. That, that track, I've wondered now, I'm waiting for something to blow up there just in that they stopped doing a bunch of the racing there because it was too dangerous, right? It's, it's basically lined with arm coal along the entire thing mm -hmm. and so then they started doing just more club level or more amateur stuff i guess but the, because the machinery is getting so much better speeds are increasing increasing all the manufacturers do their testing there you look at some of the testing that's going there and of course that's the benchmark when chevy comes up with their corvette there is even a controversy why did they never post a time for the c7 when they posted one for, I don't know if they've done one for the eight yet, but the six, the five, the four, and Porsche does one for theirs. And there's a whole story behind it. But so you have semi-professional racers in these cars going as fast as they can because they want to post that time. It's bragging rights for each company. And I just wonder at some point, someone's going to get killed again. And you wonder, is that going to maybe screech to a halt or they're going to start limiting things? So almost if, if that's what you want to do or if that's what you want to see, you may want to do it sooner than later in this kind of safety crat kind of atmosphere we're in. Yes, that's possible. All of these things could come to the end very quickly because there's a nanny somewhere that thinks that we should take better care of ourselves. <laughs> well, you, you can't be expected to make those decisions for yourself. What do you know? <laughs> exactly. But it just seems like, again, that's, it's certainly not the safest track. So I, I'm almost surprised they haven't had to modify it or do something, but, but I haven't been there. So I, I don't have first-hand knowledge, but, but given the history of it, but, but so far so good. They're, they're in they're, and maybe they are doing certain things to limit that exposure. I don't know. Well, they, they, they limit a lot of the machinery that is racing on it competitively. The liability, if you crash, uh, is fairly significant. If you take out a section of guardrail, you get to buy that entire section of guardrail and they do charge you for it. So there, you think before you crash there. <laughs> but interesting track, interesting track, like, like the TT. I think that as the weather starts to get nicer, I'm really going to get pretty stir crazy here. <laughs> I envy you, Joe, for having the, the necessity for the good of the organization to have to go somewhere on your motorcycle. You have to ride to each of my businesses. Absolutely. Even if, if I end up closing them for a month entirely, I will still have to ride and verify the buildings are in good shape. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that people have been tampering with the door locks. And Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my plan. Yes. <laughs> when in doubt, and gas it. When uh, you're an old racer, that's the racer saying, Rob. 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I was a speedway racer, Joe, and on the speedway bikes particularly, uh, if you back off that throttle, that tire stops spinning, and all of that wonderful momentum just takes that motorcycle and spits it right out from underneath you. Uh, three bo broken collarbones later on my racing career, I realized if you left off the throttle, you went over the handlebars. So it only took three times to figure that one out. Yep. To all those that are listening, uh, do your social distancing, stay healthy, take care of yourself so that we can all carry on on the other side of this little hill. Yes, I wish you all well. Mike and Rob, thank you so much for the invite. I uh, appreciated the uh, hour-long break from stressing over everything else I can't control. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the catching up with you guys. It's been great uh, talking to Joe. Uh, we'll have to ride again together someday. And Rob, I had an idea for maybe our next podcast. Like uh, Beaches Motorcycle Adventures been in business more than a couple of years. So maybe we need to talk about the good old days, how this all started. I know it, it was certainly a different situation than it is now, given the technology changes and everything else. Uh, what do you think about that idea? Uh, look into the past. My past? Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, if we can condense it to one hour, I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, there's a bit of, bit of water under that bridge, but yes, yeah, sometimes it flows quickly. Yeah, sure. That would be good. We'll do that. Okay. Well, if there's uh, one thing we're always looking for is another reason to put you in the spotlight <laughs> and have you talk about yourself. <laughs> the master of tech, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Hey, thank you both. Uh, my beer is empty and I've lost interest.